Hi, I'm Linda Eads from Ford Asset Management, and this is the South African and Global Markets in a Nutshell for July 2022. In this podcast, we talk about what's happened in the economy and the markets over the past month, and also discuss in broad terms how we see things playing out and how we are positioned as a result. Let's start with what happened in the global markets. Between the start of the year and the 16th of June, the S&P 500 was down 23%, and the NASDAQ was down 32%. Since then, though, the markets clawed back some of those losses, but nonetheless, the S&P 500 is still down 13% year-to-date, and the NASDAQ is down over 20%. So the S&P would still need to rise by 15%, and the NASDAQ by 30% just to break even for the year-to-date. This is a good reminder that if you can hold your ground in these kind of markets, you're actually better off than trying to perfectly time getting back into the market to try and catch short-term rallies. In contrast to the mood in the markets, from an economic perspective, we saw further bad news in July, with US inflation rising 9.1% from a year earlier and the Fed raising rates by another 75 basis points for the second month in a row. Now, the last time in the U.S. market that we saw inflation at such high levels, Ronald Reagan was president. So it was the early 80s. It's been a really long time, and it follows that we're talking about something that a whole generation of Americans and Europeans and Brits haven't experienced or had to factor into their lives as consumers, and equally a generation of professional investors globally who haven't had to manage money and make investment decisions with this kind of economic backdrop. The debate at the moment is just how entrenched high inflation will ultimately prove to be, and the market is clearly betting on inflation coming back down to low levels, and therefore rates not having to be hiked by as much as originally expected, the Fed recognizing this and thereby avoiding a prolonged recession. So if this rally is going to be sustained, the market has to be right about inflation and about a shallow or mild recession or even potentially no recession at all next year. Now, that seems like a very optimistic assumption, given the challenges and the complexities that we're seeing in the system. The yield curve, though, is telling a different story. The 10-year, 2-year curve has inverted, and that means that the yields on the 2-year Treasury bonds are now higher than the yields on the 10-year Treasury bonds. And of course, this isn't normal. You should actually earn more yields for lending money for a longer period of time. But this does usually predict an economic recession because higher short-term rates, so high that they're actually higher than further along the curve, mean that the Fed is artificially raising short-term rates to grind the economy's gears. And if you grind them long and hard enough, then a recession will likely occur, if, of course, history is any guide. And by one commonly used definition, the U.S. is in a recession, they saw two consecutive quarters of shrinking economic growth in the first two quarters of the year. Although it's not the official definition of a recession as defined by the U.S.'s National Bureau of Economic Research, which includes a far broader range of measures, and the U.S. labor market is one area which seems to be holding up pretty well so far. Unfortunately, economic data is a bit like those images that were in the news recently taken by NASA's new James Webb Space Telescope, We're only seeing now the light of galaxies that are actually no longer there. So similarly, there's a bit of a lag between the data and what's actually happening right now. 
although admittedly at least the lag is a little less than 13.5 billion years, which is the case for the James Webb Telescope. But if anything, markets aren't looking backwards at all. Instead, they're already looking forwards through all the negative data that we're seeing. Or maybe they are actually looking backwards, thinking that we're still in an environment of extraordinarily low interest rates and very high growth. Well, that was a very exceptional market environment, and I'm afraid we're not. I think it's also interesting that the stock markets rallied so much given Powell only mentioned that a slowdown in hikes would be appropriate at some point, which is not saying terribly much at all if you think about it. I mean, it goes without saying that a slowdown in hikes would be appropriate at some point, but they gave no real hint of when that would be. So the market's rally was very much a case of don't let the facts get in the way of a good story. And you can see this kind of optimism also extended to some of the reactions we saw to company results that came out during the past month, particularly for some of the US tech companies where results were not great, but they weren't as bad as expected. So the market actually rallied. So it could have been worse seemed to be very much the theme of the month. And that's exactly the point for us. It definitely could be worse. So we need to protect portfolios from what that actually might mean. If you look at the PE for the S&P 500, it's at a one-year forward PE of just above 18 times. That's still at the very high end of the long-term range, which is between 14 and 19 times. So the pullback that we've seen in prices year to date really only reflects the impact of the rise in interest rates that we've already seen. So the price the market is willing to pay for future earnings is much lower today because if you discount all of those future earnings from the future back to the present at a much higher rate than before, you will get a lower present value. But it still remains to be seen how the earnings themselves will fare over the next year or two, given how much pressure is in the system and the knock-on effect of all of this on the consumer and on businesses. We've come out of an era where profit margins were at all-time highs, so it's more than likely we'll continue to see these roll over. And the combination of slowing growth, rising costs of capital, rising cost pressures could all lead to not only lower multiples, but also to lower margins and lower earnings. So more than ever, active managers are going to have to be very selective with regards to where they are invested. Another pressure on the system has been the strong dollar. The Fed is currently very much focused on taming inflation, and its weapon of choice is interest rates. Higher interest rates draw in investments, especially from outside of the US, and of course this has boosted demand for the dollar. So we saw the greenback surge to its highest level in 20 years, reaching parity with the euro, but this does take a toll on businesses with global operations. The strong dollar has wiped billions of dollars off the second quarter sales of US companies, which has prompted many of them to cut their guidance for the remainder of the year. Big tech is particularly exposed to the dollar given the industry's overseas footprint. Goldman Sachs estimated that 59% of sales for tech companies in the S&P are generated outside of the US. And that's a lot higher than the S&P 500 as a whole, but even they earned 29% of their $14 trillion of revenues in 2021 outside of the US. Turning to what happened in the South African markets, there were a few parallels. Local equity markets followed the global markets in their optimistic stance, 
and the FTSE JSE All Share Index did end in positive territory for the month of July. Two things that did come under pressure which have a knock-on effect for the South African market were both the RAND and commodity prices. The RAND was as volatile as usual and it even weakened to 17.18 to the dollar during July, uh, but it did retrace a bit after that, after we saw the South African Reserve Bank playing catch-up and raising rates by 75 basis points to take the repo rate to 5.5%. We do think that from a long-term perspective, the RAND remains vulnerable. So we ensure that we have an appropriate amount of offshore exposure in our multi-asset class funds, and that we also invest in companies that generate some of their revenues outside of South Africa in order to help protect against a depreciating rand. So if the rand was weak, then conversely the dollar was strong, and we often see commodity prices, which are priced in dollars, coming off when the dollar is strong, and we certainly have seen most commodities pulling back a bit from their highs. For example, iron ore prices were down around 18% over this past month. Now, the price of iron ore has basically halved over the last year. And the profitability of mining companies are very highly geared to these commodity prices, of course. So these companies are just not going to be producing the same profits that they were producing a year ago. And we saw, for instance, in Kumba's recent trading statement, where headline earnings per share fell close to 50% over six months, that this is a good reminder of the cyclicality of mining revenues. Uh, So even when you see very attractive dividend yields, uh, given how leveraged these businesses are to commodity prices, earnings can easily drop 50% year on year. And then, of course, you typically will see share prices down 30, 40, even 50%. So even with that very attractive dividend yield, you can still end up with very negative returns overall if commodity prices come back significantly. So we're very careful about how much exposure we have to this part of the market. Given the continued pullback in commodity prices and a few not-so-upbeat results, resources as a whole didn't do very well this month, in contrast to industrials and financials. Turning to local bonds, we saw 10-year yields up as high as 11.5% during July, but they settled back above 10.5% by month-end. We have taken advantage of these more attractive real yields in our multi-asset class funds, so we do have quite a bit of exposure to SA bonds already, but we're not all in just yet. There's a chance that bond yields could rise further from this point, um, especially given that US rates are still rising and there's continued uncertainty around things like a government wage deal and Eskom debt moving onto the balance sheet, and there may be better opportunities to increase our local bond exposure down the line. We must remember that the last time that we saw yields this high, outside of the spike that we saw at the start of COVID, was around 2002, when debt to GDP was between 30 and 40%, compared to the close to 70% that we see today. So the extra yield hasn't come without any additional risks. And it's our job to constantly ask how much risk we're willing to take to get the returns our investors need, and equally if we're being compensated for taking that additional risk. As long-term investors, we need to step back a bit and think about the bigger picture. And I think that's something Ford has been quite good at historically. We need to consider the long-term changes in the drivers of inflation, interest rates, earnings, and decide what this all means about how and where we invest. Why is this happening? Where's the opportunity in this? Does this pose risks to investors' capital that need to be avoided? 
And that view is path dependent. It also depends on how things play out. So we're constantly thinking about how the global financial system works, how money flows into markets as a result of these things, and then taking a view on how that will play out. We also constantly think about what we might be wrong about and making changes if we need to. Uh, but it's important not to make any knee-jerk decisions, especially when we see markets flip-flop as they have done over the past few months. So we construct portfolios with an absolute return mindset. And to do this, we need to be prepared to be positioned differently to the market. At this stage, we'd be very cautious about assuming that we're off to the races again. There are lots of abnormalities in the market, all of which have been driven by stimulus that is fast being withdrawn from the system. And there are also quite a few pockets of value which are opening up as a result. So that's a good thing. As active managers, we get excited about prices coming down as it gives us the opportunity to generate better real returns for our investors going forwards. So we do hold some local bonds, as I mentioned, but we do still prefer equities over bonds. Uh, we still believe that equities are the best way to protect against inflation and generate real returns, uh, but we're very careful about what type of equity exposure we have. We'd be cautious about holding too many resource stocks at this stage of the commodity cycle. We prefer more defensive, higher quality, resilient companies, companies that have pricing power, that are still able to grow their earnings even in an environment that has inflationary pressure. And that would include select retailers, banks, global franchise companies, and companies that are not overly exposed to domestic risks. We have exposure to assets that we believe are priced to give us real returns over time, but we're very careful about steering clear of those securities where we are concerned about potential downside risk. So we're using our top-down and bottom-up process to carefully ensure that we tick both boxes to deliver real returns over time, but importantly, to do so without exposing our investors to the risk of permanent capital losses. This podcast is for information purposes only and should not be construed as investment advice. The views in this podcast are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily reflect those of Ford Asset Management. Ford Asset Management is an authorised financial services provider.